live better and longer with The Fitness Show, hosted by fitness expert, author, and TV personality, Fitz Kohler. She'll tell you why diets are dumb, supplements are snake oil, and the truth about how you can earn a lean, hard, pain-free, and athletic body. Now for our favorite bossy blonde, Fitz Kohler. Hi team, I'm Fitz Kohler, your fitness expert from fitness.com, and welcome to The Fitness Show. Today, I have one of my favorite race announcers as a guest, and uh, I know many of you are going to agree that he's probably your favorite race announcer too. So he does kind of what I do, but he does it in a very particular way for a very particular organization, and I'm talking about none other than the one and only Mike Riley, who is the voice of Ironman Triathlon. Welcome, Mike. Well, uh, welcome. Thank you, Fitz, and thanks for having me on. This is fantastic. Oh, I'm super excited to have you here, and I have to start by thanking you for the very scandalous picture you just sent me before um, before we got on together. There was a little bit of nudity there. <laughs> oh, yeah, just yeah, me in a pair of shorts sitting out by the pool. Yeah, yeah that, that was really bad. That's right. I got Mike's <laughs> naked legs. <laughs> It looks like you're having a horrible day. Well, you know, when, when you're bored and there's nothing to do, I just go sit out by the pool, and I last about 15 minutes, and I go, okay, I'm done with this. And then i got to go in and start doing something. Yeah, so, you know, I've, part of me has been really avoiding talking about this stupid virus because it's irritating to me beyond no end. But it's March 24th, and you and I, I I'm, my schedule has been cleared till late August. What about you? How many events are canceled now? Um, all, all, I did Ironman New Zealand on March 7th, so we got that one in. And then uh, April's been canceled, so that was three events for me. May was canceled. That's three events. June, I don't know yet what's happening in June. The only event I have is Ironman Ireland. I hope that stays because uh, that would really be tough for the community there in Cork if they didn't have that race. So that's as far as I go in June. Ju- July, August, September are still pretty solid. And the races that I had in April and May have been moved to the fall. So it'll be, it'll be a busy second half of the year, that's for sure. Well, I'm very, very happy for you. Many of my races have been all out canceled, which, you know what? It's one thing to lose the income, and I know you've been hit by that too, but I am so sad. I love the people. I need the people. What are we going to do without all of our people? Yeah, it's uh, it's not a good feeling, uh, you know. It's not only, you know, because it's as you know, it's not about you, it's not about me. It's about what we're able to say to people to enhance their day and brighten their lives and and bring them into a finish line where their dreams are coming through. Some people never thought they could run a 5K or do anything, and all of a sudden, we're there being able to say their name and congratulate them and. I'm, I'm missing that. I mean, I'm glad I got it in at Ironman New Zealand uh, the first part of March, but but now I know for the next three months it's going to be, you know, be nothing like that. So it, it's tough. Yeah, it is. I mean, we definitely have the best seats in the house for all of our events. And um, it. I think, you know, how volunteers go out and they feel, even though they're doing something nice for someone else, they get that that special feeling for themselves. I, I believe that's what you and I get. I mean, we're not doing the work. We're not getting the medal, but there we are getting to just absorb all the glory and the triumphs. And I, I miss it already. Yeah, I know. So, so do I. Wow. And you know, it's interesting when people say they have a tough time talking about the virus or we hear about too much of it on the news and media as we, as we do, but as they should report, you know, what I'm talking about or like to talk about is how we're reacting to it, how we're taking care of ourselves, how we're staying positive, how we're working out, how we're trying to keep some kind of routine. Because this is a, you know, it's like training for a, a race and you train a long time. And that journey is a big part of it, not only crossing the finish line. So we're just on a, we're on a very long race right now and we don't know where the finish line is. So that's the tough part. Yeah. But there will be a finish line. We there- just have to believe that. 
There will be. And on the note of people taking good care of themselves, <laughs> yesterday you had a wonderful Instagram post doing some push-ups. And not only did you do 10 regular push-ups, but you did some clapping push-ups, which was extremely impressive. Well, that's the old high school and college wrestling days. I, I mean, I, I've been a push-up guy my whole life. And I mean, I can't crank. I used to crank out 100 like it was nothing. And, and uh, so I'm still lifting weights and doing push-ups, but not to the degree. So when my nephew challenged me, my younger nephew obviously challenged me, uh, I, I decided to put the hand clap in at the end to uh, make him even more impressed. And, and so he sent me a video back, and he did it too, but uh, it kind of took off. People are not doing push-ups. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All it takes. So tomorrow, what I'm going to ask is for you to do your favorite dancing routine, and we will all follow in return. No, I, I don't know about that. My <laughs> dancing routines are done at the finish line. <laughs> That's where my dancing routine happens. That's what I said. I'm like, here I go dancing poorly again. At least when we dance poorly, everybody else looks like they're dancing really great. Yeah, right. Remember, I, I'm dancing at that 16 and 17 hour mark of an Ironman race. And everybody, no matter what you do, they're laughing at and they think it's great. <laughs> you know, so they've been out there all day. They don't care. So, um, so you are beloved, and I was going to explain Iron Man when we got started, but I thought it would be a lot better if you did. So a lot of my audience knows exactly what Iron Man Triathlon is, but some will be completely new to the concept. So can you share? Well, sure. My, my world's always been built around running, uh, you know, run a lot of marathons and built around triathlon, around swim, bike, and run. And, uh, you know, there's all kinds of distances of triathlon. There's sprint distance, half, Olympic, all that good stuff. And then there's obviously the pinnacle of, of the triathlon world, which is Ironman. It's a 2.4-mile swim, uh, 112 on the bike, and then a marathon run of 26.2. And so that's 140.6 miles of racing on one day. And I call it the hardest single endurance event, one-day endurance event there is. And so uh that that's my world and when i was starting announcing iron man in 89 there was only five iron mans in the world and at one time i announced them all well now there's 40 full distance iron mans and over 200 half iron mans and uh it, it it's like running it's taken off like crazy because it if people want to prove their limits they want to see what they can do they want to they want to do things that other people tell them they can't do and that's what that's what the triathlon world and endurance running world is all about I, I love it that's why i'm a part of it and you were invited many years ago by uh mike plant rest in peace to uh, was your first ironman kona the world championship yeah that was it was 1989 the first one i announced i mean i had announced probably two three hundred races in southern california prior to that uh maybe more uh, running in triathlon races. And then, yeah, in 89, Mike Plant called and said, hey, how would you like to come assist me in Kona? And I'm thinking, my gosh, that's like getting called up to the major league. So, uh, it, and I've been on the microphone there ever since. And what's your favorite part about race announcing? Oh, gosh, the expressions on the finishers' faces when they're told they're an Ironman. It, it's not about always about them being called an Ironman and it's not always about them crossing the finish line. It's about who they become. They know they've transformed themselves into someone it, some of them didn't believe possible. So when they come across the finish line and, and uh, they hear their name called out and where they're from and, and if they've got a little bit of a backstory, if they battle anything in their lives, I try to get that out. And then I call them an Ironman. And, and, and a lot of people have told me it's the, it's the greatest moment of their life crossing that finish line. It, it changed them. So that's my favorite part. There, there, nothing can top that. And you get to have it over and over and over again. Yeah, and people always say, how do you stay enthusiastic? You know, everybody, you keep doing it over and over. And, but what I, re, you know, always keep in my mind, I'm, I'm just having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with that finisher. It, it's just about... Us, me, congratulating them, letting their family and friends know the champion they are, and and it's done. And the next one comes, and it's the same thing with the same enthusiasm because 
they're hearing it and their family and friends are hearing it for the very first time. So how can you not be enthusiastic for that? Absolutely. Absolutely. So one of the things I really wanted to talk about, and you were very sweet, we uh, met up at a running conference in February and I got a sweet text from Mike who said, Hey Fitz, I'm here. I brought one autographed copy of my book and it's for you. And so thank you. Number one, I felt very flattered and I love it. Um, but I just finished reading it and along the way I, I thought two things is, well, I thought a few things. Number one, how well written it was. It's, very eloquent and insightful and you really bring to life um, the ener the exciting times, the difficult times, the incredible competitions. I mean, you've, you've just done an extraordinary job in the act, act of writing it. Um, number two, I really love getting to identify with an author because not many people get to do what we do. And there's so many points where I just was shaking my head saying, yeah, that's that he nailed it. So, um, that's number two, and then... Well, thank you very much. Yeah, no, I mean, thank you. It's been a pleasure to read, but, um, you know, last but not least, all the stories. Uh, you've done a wonderful job bringing to life so many people with their um, challenges and triumphs, and you've been doing it for so long. Have you been... Oh, and the book is called Mike Riley, Finding My Bo Voice. So everyone should go check that out. It's MikeRiley.net. And uh, that's R-E-I-L-L-Y, Mike Riley. But it, everyone needs to have it because I think anyone will benefit from it, whether they sit at a computer all day or they're raising kids. There's something to be learned and, and some inspiration to be had for absolutely everybody. Um, but since you've been doing this for so long, how long have you been planning to write a book and how did you choose your, um, your features? Oh, gosh. I, the book's been in my head for many, many, many years. And uh, about 10 years ago, I had a friend say, you got to write that book you've talked about. And I go, yeah, I know. I, I got to get it done. But I kept thinking it's like a never-ending story. I, I, there's stories after stories I'm in contact with, and I didn't really know where to begin or where to end it. And so about five years ago, I started really taking a hard look at it. And two years ago, I uh, started compiling all the notes I had and the diaries I keep for each race and the stories I just remembered by memory and the other ones I would reread and go bits of, I go, Oh yeah, that one, I remembered that. And then, uh, you know, at the beginning of 2018, I said, all right, I got to get this thing done. And by the end of 2018, I got it done. And it was, uh, I had, uh, Lee Gruenfeld, who's who has written a bunch of stuff and, and just knows the Ironman world. His wife is a 13-time age group world champion, and there was nobody else I, I wanted to write the book with than him because he knows my voice and he knows. So we, we decided to sit down and start putting it together. So I gave him story after story after story. Then I'd write 3,000 words, and he'd come back with 3,500, and I'd go, oh, yeah, you nailed that. He goes, yeah, that, because that's you. Sometimes I would write and not write in, in my voice. I would just write the story. And, and uh, thank goodness he was there because he goes, no, people want to hear you. And, and some of the best compliments I received was, God, Riley, I was reading your book, and it was like you were in the room with me. Or I was listening to the audio book, and it was like you were in the passenger seat of my car with me. So that's the biggest compliment I could get just because I, I wanted it to be me telling the story and them knowing it was me telling the story. Now, do you remember? I I didn't do the math. How many different people did you feature? Oh gosh, about uh, twenty. I think the number was twenty three, twenty four. That, that and the hardest part fits was leaving stories out that are near to dear to me. You know, there's stories in the book that are have been public. Even NBC has done some of these stories, but I gave it from my angle. And then there's other stories about people in the book that nobody knew about. And they were just people that I came in contact with because of Iron Man. And I heard their story and I sat with them and then I brought them in at an Iron Man race and, and knowing what they went through, I felt it'd be selfish if I didn't share some of these stories because I, I was so inspired and motivated by them. And I was hoping others would be too. So, um, well, I have a few questions based off that. So I'll start with the fact that you've chosen 23 stories. Are there 23 more 
uh, are there 23 other stories sitting in the wings waiting for you to write them too? Will there be a volume two? Oh my God, there's there's like 2,300 more stories. I I don't know. I don't know how I want to approach. People are talking to me about book two more than I'm probably thinking about it. Uh, it just it, I, I don't know if I want to approach it in the same way. And and I've had conversations with Lee about it. So we don't know. I mean, yeah, it certainly could happen. Uh, I just don't want it to be a book of more of the same. And it's interesting. When I, I didn't want to write a book to try to teach anybody a lesson or tell them they should be motivated and inspired by it. I wanted to tell stories, and they pull out of it what they will. They pull out their own motivation and inspiration for it. Because, I, 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 you know, I don't want to <laughs> – you must do this or you must do an Ironman. And I even say in my book, you don't need to do an Ironman. Right. You, you just need to be a person that wants to improve and move forward every day. That's right. If Ironman is your goal, fantastic. If it's not, fantastic. So I don't know about book two. I just don't know what direction we'd, uh, we'd take it. Well, one of the ways, and you know, clearly I'm very personally motivated with, you know, as a fitness professional and someone who's committed my life to sport, I, you know, I'm highly motivated, but I was reading your book on the treadmill at my gym a few weeks ago, and I've been walking. You know, I'm coming back from the cancer care, and um, right. one of the things is that, that my left boob and rib cage has been really sore, and I just haven't been able to do running because bouncing has seemed like a really bad idea. But I, I've been swimming, and on a really good swim day, I thought, you know what? I should start running soon. At least give it a go, a short bit. And... It was me reading your book on the treadmill, and you had a story about a gentleman who had been hit by a bus on his bike, and the handlebar goes through his torso, out his spine, and he's never supposed to walk again, yet he does, and he comes back and does the Ironman, and, you know, sure as hell that got me to speed up the treadmill and run. And so even a person like me, I thought, all right, if this guy can do it, I can do better. So inspiring. Yeah, it, it, it stories like that. That was Maddie Long out of New York City, New York City firefighter, uh, and and some of the things he said to me the, the year before he did Ironman after the accident, where he was hardly walking. He had no uh, right butt butt cheeks left. He had no muscles there. He had it was amazing. He says, "I'm going to do an Ironman next year," and he was an accomplished Ironman athlete and marathoner before the accident. And to hear someone words out of their mouth say that to me and i'm a very positive person thinking dude i don't think so I, are you kidding me you know and so so even i who have seen some incredible things by people was kind of a disbeliever because what you're doing is you're believing what you're seeing not what somebody's saying to you it taught me a lesson listen if somebody's going to tell me they're going to climb to the top of that mountain you know, and and I don't think they can. I have to listen to them because then I'll believe it. And and that's what you do when you read stories like this. And you start running on a treadmill going, what am I complaining about? Look what that's this right. person went through. That's right. And and that's the lesson. That That's the lesson without me trying to teach it. No, but you're surrounded by inspiration every day. And so you're right. Maybe it would be selfish not to share some of those stories. So a, a lot of my audience... Um, members are just trying to lose weight. They're trying to be fitter and get off the couch and very average existence, hoping for something better. One of the stories you shared briefly was Marcus Cook, who started off at 489 pounds. Do you mind talking a little bit about Marcus? Oh, gosh, yeah, no. It, Marcus is an amazing story, and, and for everybody that have come across that has lost a tremendous amount of weight, to, to each one, each one, the, the theme at the beginning is the same. Their mind is saying, I can't do this. Others are saying, you know, you need to get yourself healthy. You need to do this. You need to do that. Until they make that conscious decision to get their behind up off the chair or off the couch to just walk around the block, just to push themselves away from the meal to try to get help on what to eat healthy. You, you, it, 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 once you make that step, and the first month, two months, three months, is hard. 
But what Marcus saw and what others saw was once that weight started coming off, they started feeling a new person inside of them. They started finding out there's someone else with that Marcus Cook name they didn't know because they started to feel so good, so proud. Their family and friends were proud of them. They started seeing a transformation that they never envisioned. They, you're not going to Marcus never envisioned he'd go from almost 500 pounds down to 250. You know, but once he started that process and he hit 400 pounds, he started visioning it. And then, you know, he, he does an Ironman. So it, it, it can happen. I, you know, in my book, I have a picture of young Cody McCaskill, and now he's a teenager, and he's running a, on the track. You probably remember it oh. as a little boy with challenge athletes. And I would put over that picture, excuses are invalid. And they absolutely are. So once someone who's overweight stops making excuses and starts moving forward and in their mind saying, I can do this every day because it's a tough battle, it'll happen. The transformation will happen. Yeah, it's, uh, it's amazing how many people um, sacrifice their potential in life. And we only get one life. So to watch people actually say, you know what, I'm going to make a U-turn. I've been reckless. And I'm going to try to do better, do better, be better. And that's really the only expectation you can start with is do better and be better than I was the day before. Um, but that's a severe U-turn. And to go and, you know, conquer 5K marathon, Ironman, um, very inspirational. Now, the next person I want to talk about is uh, Lynn Mills, which is a pseudonym. But you write about her and she grew up with significant neglect and abuse and uh, poor thing lives a life with a lot of mental um, struggles. So can you talk a little bit about her and how she changed her life and conquered Iron Man? Yeah, I put Lynn's story in the book because I did want to address mental illness. It's always something that's swept under the rug. And, you know, if, if you've got a physical illness, people, they, they understand, they feel sorry for you, they want to help you. But when you have a mental illness, people don't know how to approach it, but it is a sickness. It's, it's real. And, uh, it, it can't always be cured, but it can be, it can be, uh, you know, corralled and you can live with it and you can move forward with it. And Lynn was in such a bad state. The only thing she found that would help her in any way, shape or form was working out. And, uh, you know, she, she had her suicide note written and was going to, end her life uh, before, and she was signed up for Ironman Arizona, but while on a training ride, a friend said to her, I bet you can't wait to hear what Mike Riley's going to say to you at the finish line. She goes, Mike, who? What are you talking about? Oh, yeah, he's the guy that brings you in and calls you an Ironman, and when he did it for me, it was, it was the greatest moment, da-da-da, you know, on and on. So she made a decision on that ride. Well, I can always wait to end my life after the race. So she trained and did the race, and and I brought her in. I didn't know who she was. I didn't know her backstory. But I said some stuff to her as she was coming in that stuck with her. And, and, and afterwards, she goes, oh, my God, I didn't know it was going to be like that. And she started turning her life around. She sent me her suicide note after, after the race that she had prepared. Uh, so I called her up. And we've, got a, we've had a relationship ever since. And and she goes through her ups and downs, as a lot of people do with mental illness. And, and, but she keeps battling. She keeps working out. She keeps doing races. And she keeps trying to find a way. Sure, there's days she, she doesn't want to be around anymore. Then there's the next day where she does. Yeah. So it, I wanted to write about that and even go deeper into it. But I'm not a you know, psychologist or a doctor or a psychiatrist or anything like that. But I know what I saw and I know what I hear and I know what, uh, people are telling me about how getting outside and working out and having a goal and, and trying to attain that goal and finish what you start helps you cope and helps you cure. Well, you know, I, one of my corporate presentations is fi called Fixing Your Life with Fitness. And it's not rocket science, isn't it? I mean, it's just there's, there's some things you're right. I'm not a psychiatrist. You're not. But there's simple things people can do for themselves daily that make almost everything better. 
Yeah, but remember, those simple things are simple to us, but when someone's just trying to come out of that shell or they're trying to come out of that hole in the ground, it seems like Mount Everest in front of them. But you just take little baby steps. You take those little baby steps, and uh, you start coming out of it. And I'm not saying that that – I'm not saying that because I know it's true. I'm saying that because other people who have come out of that hole in the ground are telling me it's true. So that's that, that's as powerful to me as anything. Absolutely. Well, she certainly, uh, it's a great story. And, you know, I like I said, I deal with the average Joe and Jane, and many of them are dealing with basic weight struggles. Some of them just have a hard time waking up each morning because of depression. So, you know, I love how these stories are very relatable, and there's something for everybody. Again, even if you're not trying to do an Ironman, if you're just – hoping to live another year or avoid disease or have some athletic adventure in your life. Um, these stories are pretty inarguable. Yeah. And I'm not saying that, you know, the only thing you have to do is uh, work out. And so, you know, you still have to have medical care and right. a lot of people still have to be on meds and, you know, it, it, that's just the way it is. You, you have to find that combination that works for you and have the right people around you that love you. If someone is always giving you a hard time or they're negative, you just, you got to walk away from them. Even mm-hmm. if it's a parent or a brother, you, you, you have to separate yourself until you're strong enough to handle that. We've got a lot of strong people here. In fact, you know, some of the things that stand out, of course, are the weight loss stories and the competitions amongst champions. But then there's a bunch of folks running and I see this at finish lines too. They come in, they've run a marathon, they have no legs. And I just think, really? <laughs> no legs. It's extraordinary, isn't it? I know. I know. I know. It, it, it is. That, the, my one chapter of, of uh, talking about three individuals, you know, that, that did Ironmans without any legs is, is it's a strong chapter. And the reason I wanted to put it together, uh, I actually titled it as if Ironman wasn't tough enough already is because all three of them had the goal, worked out, went on the journey, and failed. All three of them failed on their first attempt. And so, so many people would have walked away. Hey, I, I tried, I, I went halfway, and I don't have any legs, and that's more than anybody else could have done. And they could have made a thousand excuses, but they didn't. They got back on the horse the, right after they failed, started another years-long journey of getting to the finish line, and every one of them did. And, and uh, it shows you how resilient people are. You know, they were told so many times as young, you know, when they didn't have any legs that, you know, you can only do so much. But then there was people in their lives, like Rudy Garcia-Tolson had Bob Babbitt in his life early on with Challenge Athlete Foundation who told him, you know, you can do anything you want in life. And, you know, Rudy's an Olympian, a, a gold medal Paralympian. He's an Ironman finisher. He's a mentor. He's unbelievable human. And, and that all happened because someone was in his life telling him, you can do this. So it, it, stories like that, I, you know, are told every day. But I wanted to put the three of them in the book together of Scott, Sarah, and Rudy uh, in a chapter together to show you that even though you fail at something, that doesn't mean you're a failure. You're only a failure if you fail to go back and try it again. So, and they did. One of the things you did really well within those stories was um, describe in great detail what it's like to, I don't know, ride a bike with no glute muscles. So not only are these athletes lacking limbs, but the uh, power center of a bike rack a bike ride, which would be your glutes and quads. You don't have them. How do you do it? And so you detail that really well. Yeah, because that, that puts in the whole adage of mind over matter because physically and, and performance-wise, something just doesn't work. You know, when, when, when a above-the-knee amputee has to swing out their prosthetics on a wide arc right and left as they're running, because they don't have the buttocks muscles to lift up their leg at the knee like we, we all do. So you have to, that's not something you just go out and you do the first day. Oh, this is what I have to do. It is just a huge trained, and then 
other parts of the body like the lower back, the stomach muscles, your core, start taking a beating because it's, it's working much harder than yours and I are when we're running. So uh, it, it, it's amazing the mind over matter of just being able to accomplish a task to move themselves forward. So here's something else you've described quite, quite well, and I actually laughed out loud as you started this story. Um, it's what? This, it, well, <laughs> well, I've yeah, see, a there's, there's a lot of, there's some laughing in the book. You know, people go, oh, I cried at this story or that story. I go, yeah, but didn't you laugh at, <laughs> at that story or saying, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's the greatest response, and I totally get it, wanting to laugh. So um, what people don't understand is, you know, they see us on stages, but not all of our stages are created equal. And you describe <laughs> one stage um, which is kind they're built sometimes on crappy scaffolding where you climb up and it's kind of wobbly while you're on it. And I too have been on many stages where I've climbed up thinking, what the hell am I doing? I'm definitely going to die. I mean, the, the trip from the ground to the stage is not a safe one. And then quite often when I'm up that high, I feel unstable. So you have an incident in Wisconsin, which... Thankfully that I know long-term you're okay, I was able to cry my eyes out laughing. So do you mind sharing that story? Oh, gosh, that's, you, you know, that we had scaffolds at the finish line for the Ironman races, which were the, the floor of it was six or seven feet above the ground. No, I'm sorry, 12 feet, 12, 12 to 14 feet above the ground. Well, after, so in Wisconsin in 2015, I, I, uh, uh, I went up one and came right back down on my back, you know, about 14 feet high. So to this day, no Ironman race has a scaffold anymore for the announcers. It's all a one foot or two foot stage because of that. But it, it was a, uh, you know, it was the old, it was the experience that we've heard about in movies or other people tell us about that their life flashed in front of them. And it, mine did as I was, you know, at the time felt like I was floating down, looking up at the beautiful blue sky and knowing I had nothing but a cement street below me. Uh, you know, the, the faces of my, my wife and my son and my daughter and, and my grandson, who, who wasn't that old at that time. Matter of fact, I think he was uh, one, uh, passed before me before I hit the ground. So it, you have to read the story. I, I didn't, want this book to be about Mike Riley. I wanted it to be about the stories I wanted to tell. But when I wrote about that story and Lee read it, he goes, you got to put this in. We have to put this in the book. Because I, it, it wasn't made public that I felt. Some people saw it at the finish line, but none of the athletes or anything like that knew about it. You know, and I didn't talk about it afterwards because it was, you know, it was personal and they didn't need to. Anyway, uh, so, yeah, it, it's a story about, uh, you know, feeling very fortunate that you are where you are on, on this day. Wow. Yeah. But it's, it, you know, the, the tale between you and that, um, that piece of scaffolding you missed or the one that didn't exist was very vividly written. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. And I've been there. I mean, you know what's so funny, Mike, is when I climb up those wonky, crappy ladders, I just think, well... I'm the race announcer. Nothing will happen to me. You know, I just think, okay, I'm part of this deal, and I almost feel immune to injury. I know it's possible, but there's some sort of stupidity. Like, why in the world did you even get up there probably 40,000 times before you fell? Yeah, why, I know. Why do we do Probably this? that many times. Yeah, I mean, it's just insane, but there we go, trusting our ops people, who are the greatest people in the world, but um, it doesn't make sense. We wouldn't let our children climb up on those things would we well that's why they're no longer at any Ironman races <laughs> so, well, <laughs> good thing I don't think my races have yet made that determination but um the other thing that I really appreciated and identified with is how badly you just wanted to get back to your finish line to welcome your athletes and you were in pretty dire straits it sounded like but your desperation to be with those people is uh real and uh you know, that's why everybody loves you back so much is probably because they could feel how much you admire and love them. Well, thank you. And, and I do. So, um, Mike, tell me, where did you do most of the writing for this book? 
Where? Yeah. I, I did uh, probably half of it in my home office. Uh, yeah, half of it in my home office. Maybe uh, another 30% or so in my local Starbucks. And the rest of it on plane. That's, that, that's just, that, you know, when I was flying, when I was traveling. Uh, it's interesting, the process of writing a book. You go, okay, so it's, it's 7 in the morning, I'm going to sit down. and it, Well, it didn't happen that way. I would, I, I would write something, say, at 8 o'clock at night, and I swear it, at, at 3.30 in the morning, I'd wake up going, oh, my God, I remember something else from that story. And I'd run into the office in my home and, and, and write the rest of it. And thank goodness Lee was an early riser. I'd send it to him at 5 in the morning. He'd send me something back right away and go, okay, let me take a look at it. And we'd go back and forth. So uh, things came to me that – because remember, I'm writing about stories from the 80s, and I'm writing about stories from the 90s, and – there's always details you, you want to remember. And, and uh, I actually remembered a detail of a story when I was reading the audio book. We hadn't published a book yet. I'm reading the audio book, and something hit me when I was reading one of the – and I go, oh, my gosh. And Lee was there at the time. I go, Lee, this is what happened, and this is how it happened. He goes, okay, we're going to add that. we got to add that. As I was reading the audio, you know, reading my manuscript. So – that's that's a, and even after I was completely done, I remembered things and said, "Oh shoot, I forgot yeah. that piece of it from from that story." But you can't. I'm not gonna, you know, kill myself worrying about that kind of stuff. But it just that happens. So just, that's how my process was. So um, I'm writing a book about this wacky year I've had, and and one of the things I think sometimes is, well, I'll leave that detail out. And then if somebody wants to know more, I'll tell them during the podcast interview or so. Is there anything about any of these stories you're just dying to get out that you want to share now? Oh, gosh. Let me think. I'm looking at my list. Uh, I don't really think so. I, I told, you know, I could have gone into more detail on Mark and Dave in the 89 race, which I thought was one of the greatest uh, head-on battles I've ever seen, but it's been written about so much. So I just wrote it from my perspective. You know, I the story about uh, uh, Cameron Brown when he finished second at Hawaii, and the race director from from New Zealand gave me the phone to call his wife to tell him that he, you know, and this was back when cell phone technology wasn't that good. You know, I, I think I wrote about every detail in that. So I don't think there's really a story. I wish I would have. It was just tidbits to a story. Okay. I could have. See, see, the whole thing with writing the book, I, I didn't want it to be a Bible. That's why we didn't include all the stories I had. I wanted it to be a, a, a read where someone could say, okay, that story impacted me. And it just didn't go on and on. I, I'm an avid reader. I've read, read so much stuff. And. I've read some great books where I thought it could have been condensed a little more, not because I didn't want to get through it because I, I, I can read through anything. It just became like repetitive and I didn't want to be repetitive with my stories. I wanted to tell the story as if I'm having a conversation with you and telling you the story live. And I, I think hopefully we accomplish that. Yeah. No, it's it's a it's a easy read. It's a fun read. It's something I was motivation. Every time I had to close the book to go, I don't know, continue living in some regard, I thought, damn it. And I couldn't <laughs> looking forward to picking it back up again. So you were certainly successful in that. So one thing you touch on a little bit, but it's famous within Ironman is at Kona at the World Championship the day before there's a shakeout run. Uh, is it just called the Undie Run? Is that what it's called? Uh, today it's on Thursday morning. It was, yeah, it's the underpants run. The reason that that event came about was because a lot of the triathletes would come to Kona, and back in the day, where there's speedos around town, walk into the grocery store, go to a restaurant, sitting in their speedos, and and I'm not saying what group of people that would do that, uh -huh. but uh, they were famous for wearing speedos all over the place. Can we, is it the Latinos and Europeans? 
<laughs> it was uh, uh, the second of the two. Right. So anyway, uh, we we decided, a few of us, and Paul Huddle was the leader of this, to wear their whitey dighties, run up and down Ali'i Drive, which is the main drag of Kona, and, and kind of mock them like, you don't do this. Well, they picked up on it like it was a cool deal. So next thing you know, people are showing up on the, the two days before the race to do the undies run. And so there'd be 30 of us, 40 of us, and we'd run, you know, a half mile down the road and a half mile back, do some calisthenics, some funny things. Well, now it's grown into a phenomenon, and, and Thursday morning there's about 1,000, 1,500 people show up for this, all ages, running in their underwear, and some of the most craziest outfits you ever saw in your life. So it, it, it's kind of a, it's a good thing for the psyche of the Ironman athlete to get them to relax a little. They got the biggest day of their life coming up in two days. So they go out there with their kids, they run in their undies, and everybody's laughing, having a good time. And, and at Ironman New Zealand this year, I led the undie run on a, on a, a bike uh, through, through the town uh, because I, I had my hip replaced in December, so I'm not running a whole lot. So anyway, it, it, uh, it, it happens at all the races, usually throughout the world. And it's because... We wanted to let them know you don't walk into the grocery store with your speedo on. Now, now we got 1,500, 2,000 showing up to do this same thing. So uh-huh. figure that out. Blowing up in your face <laughs> a bit. Now, do you announce that race or just participate? No, no, it's there's not no even a I, race. There's other people. Other people. I, I run in that one in Kona. There's other people that. Uh, let me think. Do they have? Yeah, I, I mean, at the beginning, I talked to everybody, and then we all go run and come back and. So it, uh, it, there's no real announcing in it. Do you spend any significant amount of time planning out your undies to wear? Uh, no, no. I usually no. I usually go. Okay, this is good. Okay. Sometimes I go back to the originals, just wear jockey whitey dighty. Oh my god! Which is what we all, <laughs> which is what we all did. Which is actually people they go, oh, those are cool. Thinking, oh my god, I still have some in my drawer. I better. <laughs> you know. Just share them with it's everybody. Great. How generous! Just grab a bag of Hanes and you know pamper all the people with them. Um, oh, what is your other favorite? What is your favorite other sport? Baseball. Okay. Hundred percent. Yeah, I'm a baseball guy. I always have been. My my family's a baseball family. My son played high school, college, and got paid to play baseball after college. And so, yeah, we're just, a, I just, I just love the sport. I could watch it constantly. Got, and who's your favorite team? San Diego Padres, where I live. Yeah. Okay. Well, and I hopefully, and hopefully they'll play with all the other major league teams this year. Fingers, sometime. fingers crossed, right? Yeah. Fingers crossed. All right. And this is going to be my last question. And then if you want to add anything, you can. But my last question for you is uh, I was talking with Rudy earlier and he was talking about announcing Oceanside um, Ironman with you. Was I don't know if it was a half or a full, but um, we know lots of people and uh, hordes and sometimes our memories break. And so, you know, it's hard to keep track of Some, sometimes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Good. Because he was saying he goes, no. Mike's got the extraordinary memory. It's perfect. You're not perfect. Is this what you? Please tell me that you have mental breakdowns where you don't know people's names. I. Uh, it, it, it's not perfect. I mean, I'll. You know what's interesting about that? I'll remember someone I met a year ago. They'll tell me they're going to do Ironman Lake Placid. A year later, we're at Ironman Lake Placid. I'll see this guy in the street and go, hey, Tommy. Oh and it just comes to me. And he goes, dude, I cannot believe you remember my name. And then somebody will be in the race that I've known for 20 years. Could be a friend. And they'll be coming around. And I go, oh, there's. And I go blank. And, and then I look at the screen. I go, oh, my God, that's Billy. What am I, I'm an idiot? I've known him for 20 years. It's just weird how my memory remembers things that you, you would think it didn't need to, but yet I guess it does. So uh, I, I remember the race with Rudy. I was, you know, just one of those days where you're on and, and I'm saying a lot of things about a lot of people and he goes, how the hell do you know that about that person? You know, I don't know. I met him a few years ago and he told me about it or I read about it. And, uh, so I, I, I don't know. It's just, it, it's 
sometimes it's really there, sometimes it's not. Uh, but it, uh, hopefully, more times it's there than not. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. I mean, I you know sometimes it, I feel it's me versus twenty thousand. I clearly we can't know everybody's name, but I really want to know everybody's name. And more importantly, when I hear them and I have that personal relationship, I want to remember it so badly. It just doesn't always work. Well, Fifth, you're 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 in a tough situation because uh, you know I announced the first ten years of all the rock and roll marathons. Well, you know if you got 15, 20,000 people coming across the finish line. You're trying to get a name out every 10. And I'm now in a world where I get everybody's name out. Uh, I, read a, I read the bios of 2,500 people four or five times before the race comes about. So I, I, I can get familiar with the database and the stories. But in your world on the running side, which I no longer do anymore because I'm just too busy with Ironman, I, I can't imagine trying to, so you got to be selective on, <laughs> you know, you you just try to remember as much as you can, or otherwise you just get you overwhelm yourself and you feel bad about not remembering people. But the numbers are just too great with with the running side, yeah. too big. Well, you know, and how lucky are we to be overwhelmed with so many incredible people, right? If that's the biggest burden we exactly. bear, but but yeah, but that's what actually what Rudy said when I talked to him earlier. He goes, you know. Holy crap, Mike was knew everything about everybody. He's got the best memory. And I thought, ugh, of course he does. <laughs> <laughs> of course he does. I was a little bitter about it, but that's okay. Um, anything else you'd like to share or add, Mike Riley? Oh, gosh. Uh, I think the biggest joy we can give ourselves right now during this tough time is to make sure you take care of yourself first. If you don't, the ones around you are going to falter. And you, you, you've got to be strong. There will be a finish line coming our way. We're just on a long race right now. And we're being told so many things by media and what you read. And, uh, and at the end of the day, if you take care of yourself the way you know you should, and don't get yourself into a rut, if, you feel yourself getting a little bit down, get outside and take a walk. Do some push-ups. Pump that iron in the garage and wipe the dust off it. Simply sit and, and do an online yoga class. I'm a yoga guy, yogi, and, and so we put classes in 60 minutes. I'm doing it in my living room, and, and you feel so much better after that. So uh, you've got to take care of yourself because nobody else will. I mean, if you've got a 5-year-old at home, you're going to take care of that 5-year-old but that five-year-old isn't going to be taken care of as well if you're not taking care of yourself. It's just, it's just common sense on that stuff. So we will get back out there and be able to do our sports. Uh, the tough part is we just don't know when. So it's one day at a time. It's 24 hours at a time. And if we live by that, I, we're going to get through this together. We really, we really will. Yeah, I have good faith, and that's that's fantastic advice, Mike. Because we <laughs> we can only control one thing, and that's ourselves, right? Yeah, I, I, exactly. I mean, I got a story of a guy in my book who did twelve Ironman races and didn't finish twelve of them. Failed to get to the finish line before the midnight cutoff. And after the fourth or fifth, I called him in on sixth, and he didn't make it. Seventh, it was past midnight. I'm thinking. This dude's going to have to end this pretty soon. Well, I find out he's coming to his number 13 at Ironman Mall in Trouble Island last year, and he comes in before that midnight hour. And I'm thinking anything is possible. He didn't give up. His journey was much longer than anybody else's in that race because he had failed 12 times. But he didn't give up. He kept living day by day. He kept going out, doing it. And finally, he got to that finish line before that cutoff. And now he owns that for the rest of his life. And that's what we have to do today. We have to be like him. Just keep, keep that journey alive and strong and keep it passion. Keep that passion in it and, and you'll get to the finish. Yeah, you know what? I love that guy. I don't even know who it is, but I, <laughs> I love him for continuing on. And <laughs> even if he didn't make it the whole 140.6 miles, he probably had a good 117 miles worth of athletic adventure that day. And no one can take those moments away from him. It's awesome. No, not at all. Hmm. It was. I like him. Send him my love when you see him. Please. I will. <laughs> all right, Mr. Mike. So, folks, 
You have to go out and get it or just get online and get it. That's probably easier. MikeRiley.net. It's Mike Riley Finding My Voice. I absolutely love this book. It's been a long time since I've had a book that I love. And um, this is probably one I'll put down and pick up in another year and read it again. Thank you so much, Mike, not only for the book for and for being a guest on my podcast, but for being such a sweet friend. I adore you. Well, thank you very much, Seth. And, and you know what? Kudos to you for doing what you do. Uh, helping people's dreams come through at the finish lines because your enthusiasm is wild, girl. I love it. And, and, and people pick up on that. And when you, you know, when you're able to put a smile on somebody's face, I say that's one of the greatest things you can ever do for someone else. So keep them smiling out there. I agree. Thank you so much, folks. If you haven't already done so, um, follow Mikey's, what, it's Iron Voice on Instagram. Iron Man Voice. Iron Man Voice on Instagram. And you can follow me at Fitness on every social media channel on the planet. Get to work, team. Bye. Hi, this is Rudy Novotny, the voice of America's marathons. We all love how much running has benefited every aspect of our lives, so much so that most of us only wish we'd started sooner. Wouldn't it be wonderful to gift the opportunity to children of today? Well, you can the Morning Mile is a before-school walking and running program that gives children a chance to start each day in an active way while enjoying fun, music, and friends. That's every child, every day. It's also supported by a wonderful system of rewards, which keeps students highly motivated and frequently congratulated. Created by our favorite fitness expert, Fitz Kohler, Morning Milers across the country have run over 2 million miles and are having greater success with academics, behavior, and sports because of it. The Morning Mile is free to the child, free to the school, and is inexpensively funded by businesses or generous individuals. Help more kids get moving in the morning by visiting MorningMile.com. Champion the program at your favorite school or find out more about sponsorship opportunities. That's MorningMile.com. Long may you run.